0: what up flyers thanks for coming back around for another hour of talking out loud it's thursday december 10th and a new episode is coming your way so on tonight's episode kept it pretty simple uh, going to recap the week that was touching on a couple of points at smu i touched on a couple of points at the nku game what the Flyers need fixed, what they've done well, what's concerning, a lot of the things that we've kind of talked about in the rapid reaction, just bring them full circle uh, and do a nice little summary to start the show. The bulk of the show tonight is going to be my interview. Uh, getting ready for the Mississippi State game, I brought on Tyler Horka from the Clarion Ledger, who's the beat writer for Mississippi State sports, basketball and football. Gives us some insights into the Bulldogs and what we can expect on the game coming up here on Saturday. Before I let you into the episode, to let you know, this episode is brought to you by HealthNetics CBD. HealthNetics CBD, founded and run by a family of UD alums, the Murrays, they wanted me to let you know HealthNetics is a premium CBD brand available online at healthnetics.com. All their products are all natural, THC free, and made right here in the U.S. HealthNetics is focused on quality and purity, and all products undergo rigorous lab testing. All CBD is not the same. Trust the brand I use, and the brand I use is Healthnetics. Use promo code Flyers for 10% off your order and free shipping. All you got to do is go to Healthnetics.com. Like I said, punch in. Promo code Flyers for 10% off your order. All CBD companies are not the same. You can trust Healthnetics, and they're bringing you the episode that starts right now.
1: to get a shot up at the buzzer, it's good!
0: This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. The only podcast on the internet consistently reminding you to wear red and be loud. Hey,
1: here come the Flyers. Hey, here come the Flyers.
0: Good day, Flyers. I said good day. It's Thursday, December 10th. It's a new episode of Talking Out Loud. It's brought to you by Healthnetics, and I'm your host, Sully, bringing you nothing but the goods for the next hour talking about Dayton Flyers hoops. If you joined us earlier this week for Rapid Reaction or Game Day Morning, I really appreciate you, and I appreciate you um, supporting the program. You know, If you're here, then you support the program. I get that, Uh, but we're putting out a lot of good stuff. We're going to try to keep doing the game day mornings every day uh, that the Flyers have a game. You know, five-minute rundown on the team coming up. And, uh, and we're going to keep doing the, the rapid reactions, too. Getting a good response from those where we just sit down for 20 minutes to a half hour after the game and, uh, and chop it up a little bit, give you uh, the hottest takes from the games that were. Before we get to the interview tonight, you know, wanted to cover some things that have that've come across the desk, and obviously it's been a really busy week. The Flyers started the season on Saturday against, es- or sorry, um, second game of the year rather. The season's already underway, uh, but they started uh, this week with uh, a game on Saturday, and then another game, of course, Tuesday. Uh, that Northern Kentucky game being put on the calendar uh, on Saturday afternoon, and uh, before I get into that, it, it was kind of funny how that game came to be. Uh, The Flyers obviously scheduled Eastern Illinois, and I mentioned to you last week on the program that they had called up NKU to essentially have a backup plan for, you know, if Eastern Illinois had a positive test or or, or just whatever. You know, there's so many things that can come up now, so many things that can happen. You might as well have a backup plan. And so when Eastern Illinois said, yes, we're ready to go, uh, UD said, you know, no thanks, NKU. But what we didn't know was that, uh, you know, talks kept going. Um, And they ended up concluding in the Flyers playing against Northern Kentucky on short notice, about 48 hours notice, uh, got that game in on Tuesday. Obviously the loss on Saturday, a little bit disappointing, win, uh, call it the get right game uh, on Tuesday against NKU. And frankly, um, you know, you're starting to see a little bit of trickle down as to what can happen when you don't have some of those get right games, when you don't have teams that come into the arena and aren't really up to the talent level of UD. um, You need those games. You need those teams to come in so that you can get the wheels grease so you can figure out some of these problems. Uh, that tend to ail teams in the early season. I'm talking about uh, rotational issues, who's getting minutes, who's not getting minutes. Um, Those are all things that kind of need ironed out in the early season. And not that we necessarily take them for granted, but I think that we don't necessarily consider how important they are um, until they're not there anymore. And this year in 2020, uh, that is certainly the case. So before we get to our interview tonight, I have a great interview mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, it's going to be with Tyler Horka, and that interview is going to be brought to you by Georgia Mobile Car Inspections. Before I get to that, you know, some things that I wanted to address that basically summarize kind of what we've been talking about. I mentioned I had the game day morning, uh, the last two games, and then we had the rapid reaction for NKU. Uh, but essentially, you know, we've had three games now. Let's talk about the three things that need fixed moving forward Um the, the sauce is always made in losses, I say. This business is based on losses, and it's always better for business when we have a crushing defeat, as as much as I hate to say that. But you it's, you, it's based on you people. You, you guys listen to the show more when we lose. You listen to the show more when I have things to bitch about. So, sure, I'm going to give you what you want. I'll bitch about some stuff. Let's talk about it. Three games down. There's three things that deeply concern me moving ahead in the season and I mentioned on the rapid reaction that that I have moved from um you know being cautious and kind of being a cautious observer to being actually concerned about certain things because the season has a great deal of urgency. There's less games, there's less non-con games and that means there's less opportunities to build that resume. Um, And, you know, this coming Saturday is a prime opportunity to build that resume. So here's what the Flyers need fixed. And a couple of these we've already talked about. A couple of them are fairly obvious. But, you know, this is my radio show is what I do. I get to, you know, I get to talk about this stuff. And you guys chose to listen. So here we are. Obviously, uh, number one is the bench, and that's the the most obvious thing that we keep talking about now. We're three games in, um, Christian Wilson walk-on, we've seen him get a questionable, confusing amount of minutes. Um, His offensive rating, i.e. how how productive he is uh, in each game, uh, his offensive rating has been zero for all three games, zero, zero, and zero um so you know i don't really need to discuss kind of like his his productiveness um in the lineup i don't really need to discuss like what he gives the lineup because frankly he's a placeholder and if christian wilson is not in the long-term plans for the flyers you know they need to figure out something else and they need to figure it out fast because on games like saturday when you play in power five teams another chance to build your resume You know, you want to be solidifying the rotation, not continuing to throw out guys um, and guessing, frankly, uh, around the rotation. With that in mind, you know, as we dig further under the hood to talk about the bench, things are concerning. Uh, There's just a lot of things that are really concerning, which starts and ends with the production offensively coming from three different people. Uh, Jalen and Ibi, we expected to be the leading scorers on the team this year, and they are. Dirt Road Johnson has put together a phenomenal three-game stretch offensively. Defense really needs a lot of work, but there's no way that his defense will ever be so bad that it will outweigh his offensive contributions. And with that in mind, the three men that I just mentioned have chipped in 72% Of scoring for UD. They've scored 196 points in three games so far. 142 of those points have come from the three aforementioned guys. Not so good, my friends. And when you look down the bench, um, it's not all that encouraging. We still don't know why UD is not applying for a waiver for Elijah Weaver. Um, I've speculated that it's grade-related because I can't see any other downside to applying for a waiver for Elijah Weaver transfer from Southern Cal. And then uh, Berea has been injured. It's an undisclosed injury. I haven't been able to confirm exactly what it is, and UD certainly won't confirm that. Um, And then there's Lucas Frazier who has had his ass glued to the pine uh, for these three games. And, you know, once we've gone through three games, I think it's fair to say we're not going to be seeing Lucas Frazier in any um, productive capacity this season. Uh, You know, he's just not going to contribute to the team when you've seen three games and two of them have been against lesser foes and you can't even get off the bench number one, but number two, the fact that Anthony Grant trusts a walk-on considerably more uh, than putting a freshman in t- to get some minutes and find out what he has, yeah, that's very telling. Um, so I said in, in the recap uh, yesterday that I just don't think we're going to be seeing much of Lucas Frazier, and if we do, it's going to be five minutes here, five minutes there, um, nothing really that's going to affect the box score moving forward, and um, you know, until I see something that, that drastically changes my mind, I really think that's, that's going to be the case. You know, when I'm talking about these bench issues, the one thing that that has to be brought up is how badly the Flyers miss Dwayne Cohill, Um, because we talked about on the rapid reaction that basically from the bench right now. What the Flyers are looking for is about 20 minutes per night and about 10 points with a positive offensive contribution. And, and frankly, I believe that's exactly what Dwayne Cohill would have given this offense and this team in general. You know, he plays with energy on defense, he knows how to move the ball, um, he's not a standstill offensive guy. Um, and he really does force the issue on, on both offense and defense. And I think heading into his junior year with the work ethic and what he's shown the Flyers so far, I really don't think there's any reason to believe Dwayne couldn't have been that guy. Um, so it's it's not like I wanted to start to cast on on a reminiscing note today. But you know we're, we're really missing Dwayne Cohill, and the the number one reason that I brought up today that we have to the number one concern rather the bench uh, kind of starts and ends with. With Dwayne Cohill and his injury, and that injury has largely um, added on to the bench problems that uh, that the Flyers have. Number two, you know, down the list here is is turnovers, and and it's pretty simple. ud has been absolutely pitiful turning the ball over. Uh, Fifty six turnovers through three games is what we're talking about right now. And if you again, when we drill a little bit further under the hood, it gets worse. So UD's turnover percentage right now on all their possessions is 28%, which means in all the possessions that the Flyers have had, they are turning the ball over on 28% of them. That number is good for 291 in the country. Okay, it gets even worse. When you talk about non-steal turnover percentage, basically the percentage of possessions that the Flyers turn the ball over on unforced errors. That is one in five possessions at 20%, which the number next to them is 300th in the country. However, if you really drill deep, there are 50 teams right now in the country that have yet to play a game. So if you're doing the math quickly with me, there are only two teams in the entire country right now that are turning the ball over more frequently than the Dayton Flyers on unforced errors. They are Purdue-Fort Wayne, who has only played one game. So that's a sample set of one. And the other team is someone called Tarleton State that even I have never heard of down in Texas. They have played uh, four games, and two of them have been against non-D1 opponents, and they are turning the ball over uh, on that non-steal percentage a little bit more frequently than the Flyers. But, okay, that's not really the point. The point is... There's two teams in the entire country that have played basketball out of 302 that are turning the ball over on more unforced errors than Dayton. That's bad news, my friends. And ask yourself right now I mean, is this a trend that can continue for UD to see success? So I I think, honestly, though, before I get to to the last kind of factor concern that we need to clean up here before Saturday, that. If you get no scoring from the bench, let's say that the, the situation doesn't change, the Flyers roll out a six- or seven-man rotation uh, with Sissoko and Blakeney, and then they, they mix in Jordy, got seven men right there. If those guys continue to be the entire rotation, and we're getting 70% of our scoring from three guys, if UD just cuts down on the turnovers by half, if they commit half the amount of turnovers that they have to this point, I am willing to guarantee they would have been 3-0. and so these, you know, these two factors are very very important, but I think one outweighs the other. The last thing, and we talked about it before, uh, to finish up before we get to the interview with Tyler Horka here today to, to preview the Mississippi State game, is the killer instinct. Um, and what I mean by killer instinct is finishing in the last five minutes. I mentioned on the rapid reaction uh, that the Flyers have they have made two buckets in the last three minutes of each of their respective three games. That's total, two buckets total in the last three minutes. Um, you know, UD is just going to have to get way more effective down the stretch and closing out games because, frankly, this team reminds me a lot of the 2019 team that dropped games against Virginia. They dropped a game against Mississippi State. They dropped a game against Tulsa, against VCU, against um, VCU twice that year. And then of course the overtime loss to Rhode Island. Those were all games down the stretch that the Flyers were they were young, inexperienced, and they didn't have the killer instinct to finish in that final 5. And what we saw on Saturday was a team that went through those similar bumps and bruises as UD, SMU I'm talking about, and they came out on the other side this season. You know, when you figure out how to lose, it teaches you how to win. And I believe that SMU won that game on Saturday. Because they possess the killer instinct that UD has yet to develop, and they developed it over a season uh, just like the one I talked about in 2019 for the Flyers. Last season for SMU, uh, they had trouble closing out games, and I think it taught them a valuable lesson that has already uh, yielded results in the young season. Um, you know, as we head into Saturday, it's worth reminding you that the Flyers uh, have. The opportunities for the Flyers are fleeting in the non-conference right now. Um, As you look down the schedule, uh, we're hoping that between the 19th and the 30th, UD will be able to schedule one or two games. I know that that is the hope from uh, from UD inside the walls, of course. Because right now, there's only five games on the non-con. You've already dropped one. And so, what happens when you've dropped one of your three good opportunities... Is that Mississippi State and uh, Old Miss the next two Saturdays? And, and I do mean this; those have turned into must-win games for the Flyers at-large chances. If they go into the conference slate at four and one, and then they have maybe a uh, you know fourteen and four uh, type of year, fifteen and three, that should be enough to push the Flyers onto the at-large. Um, at large line but that mountain will become unclimbable i believe uh if they are to drop one of the two of these games here uh, coming up on saturday so we'll give you all the details that you need uh you know before the game here on saturday And before we get to the interview with Tyler Horka, I wanted to remind you that it is sponsored by George at Mobile Use Car Inspections. If you need an automotive expert that you can trust, George at Mobile Use Car Inspections is your man, ASE certified technician, specializing in pre-purchase inspections when you are buying a used vehicle and performs certified and IRS qualified automotive appraisals for all insurance and legal purposes. If your car has been totaled, but your settlement seems too low, you call George. If your car has been hit and now it has a bad car fax report, simple, just call George. If you have any automotive questions whatsoever, call George. He's happy to provide free advice to all Flyer fans at any time. You can reach him at 937-671-0768 or mobileinspections.com. Email him info at mobileinspections.com. Or again, you can call 937-671-0768 thank george immensely for being a sponsor of our program along with healthnetics and george is the man who's bringing you this interview with tyler horka that begins right now welcome back to talking out loud Continuing our non-con series of getting the best and brightest writers that cover the teams that we are playing, I did my research once again, fair listeners, and I sought out a man that covers Mississippi State for his life's work, at least for now. His name's Tyler Horka. is joining me right now from the Clarion Ledger, part of the USA Today beat writer for mississippi state sports specifically basketball and football uh and he's told me that he used to be a part of the daily texan from dallas fort worth area part of nfl media he's even had a little little stint at si uh so i'm joined by tyler now to break down the game coming up here saturday down in atlanta uh tyler man what's going on how's uh, how's this weird dystopian reality of of covid treating you right now down in mississippi man
2: Well, first of all, you said you did your research and there were plenty of different options you could have went with. So I'm flattered (laughs) that you chose me, but uh, yeah, I never know. know. I
0: really never know. Yeah,
2: (laughs) no, no, it's, it's awesome. I I appreciate you landing on me. Um, But yeah, it's been weird. Uh, I've been to every single Mississippi State football game this year and some have felt more strange than others. Um, But like I was saying earlier, I think these basketball games, I've been to three Mississippi State basketball games now and. I mean, these have felt beyond strange. Uh, it's just something different about going into an arena. Uh, usually, you I mean, it's, it's noisy, right? You, you know, Dayton basketball games, they can get loud. Mississippi State games can even get loud here at Humphrey Coliseum. But uh, going from 10,000 people down to like 100 feels a lot different from going from 60,000 down to 15 in a football stadium, especially at Mississippi State where they're ringing cowbells. You know, that is still really, really freaking loud.
1: You go into these
2: <laughs> gyms and it's like I'm back in high school. I'm watching – heck, I, I went to a high school where uh, they won two state championships while I was in school, so those games were allowed. These are like middle school games almost. It feels like I'm you know at my middle school uh, basketball game. I, I played on the B team in middle school, so I watched the A team at, after uh, every game. And, you know, those were just kind of subdued, just some parents clapping if their kid makes a play. That's basically what this is. You know, Mississippi State played Jackson State on Tuesday of this week. And uh, you could hear individual Jackson State fans who made the two-hour drive up to Starkville if their kid made a play. You could tell, like, whose parent that was because the kid comes down <laughs> with a big rebound and they're like, Yeah you know, go get them, John. And I'm just like, what? what is this right now? Like, usually that is blended in with the rest of the crowd. But right now it's it's just kind of strange. And that's the best way to describe it.
0: I told Tyler this is going to be a great place to start today because I think so many fans, especially listening to my show right now, are wondering kind of what it's like to be in the arena. And um, I, I do want to know, like, what is the number one weird factor for you here in a second? But I, I wanted to share a story just because you said that. So this past Saturday, I went to UD Arena. Um, I was lucky enough to get just like a general admission ticket. I was one of like 300 people in UD Arena to watch us lose to SMU. And just to your point, um, the one thing I was super fired up about going into the arena is I knew everybody on the court and the referees could hear all the things that I was going to say. And that was like really getting me jazzed up to go into the game because – it was kind of hard, right? Like going to the arena, there's like no traffic. I didn't have to like fight anybody to get in the door. There's no commotion. There's no music playing. Like there's just nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, sure enough, like first half was winding down and there was a really bad foul call. You know, it was just like objectively a bad call. And I started screaming at the referee. I was only about five rows off the court. And I'm like, the ball doesn't lie, ref. You're going to see the ball doesn't lie. Like that, right? <laughs> so the guy steps up to the free throw line, air balls the free throw. And I'm like jumping on this ref. I was like, I told you the ball's not going to lie, sir. And sure enough, like there was a timeout, like right after I had done this. And the referee kind of pointed up at me and I was like, oh crap, like he's going to toss me out of here, but I hadn't sworn. So I started being incredulous. I was like, I'm keeping it PG. I'm not swearing up here, ref. You got nothing. And he walks over to the guys that kind of wear suits. And there's a couple security guys that I recognize that are always at UD arena. And he points up at me again. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm for sure going to get thrown out. Like I'm a 30 year old man. Here we are. I'm going to get tossed out of my own arena. And they all started laughing. And that's when like, I had like a sigh of relief and I was like, okay, the referees and the guys on the floor, they're having some fun with this, too. Like, they know how ridiculous it is that they can hear me clear as day, seven rows off the court, right? So, my question to you is, I found the, the drive to the arena the most jarring because at dayton i'm not telling my listeners anything new but for your perspective um we have to go across there's only two ways to like get there for most people you either go across a bridge from a river or you get off the highway and the exit dumps you right onto the the arena parkway right there and there was there's nobody around there's no traffic so for you covering basketball and football what has been like the single weirdest aspect of covering these two sports in this year
2: Yeah, I guess we'll stick with basketball right now and you mentioning the drive to the arena. uh, That is definitely strange. It's it's one of them. Uh, But I feel like it's the whole process because the drive to the arena is uh, usually where media parks. Basically, there's this huge intersection. And not only is it busy with a bunch of uh, cars coming in, obviously, because Starkville, there's one exit. There's one main exit that gets you down to Humphrey Coliseum. And that's usually the most jarring thing. If you don't, lo- if you don't leave two hours before the game, you're going to get stuck on that exit ramp, and then who knows if you make tip off. Well, I can just fly sounds down. Like,
1: that sounds egg. like
2: Dayton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. But I yeah. can leave. I could probably leave 30 minutes before the game and fly down that exit ramp and walk in 20 minutes before tip off. Like that's how much of a difference there's been. There's no pedestrians crossing the street making that intersection uh, any more hectic than it already is. And then when I walk into the arena, usually we're sitting down on the floor. They've moved us up to basically the rafters. They kind of carved out this section, and they have these big metal, like if you've ever been to New York and you see those scaffolding things on the side of all these buildings, and you're walking under them, and you're you see people working on top of them, and you're like, that's not very safe. That's basically what we're sitting on inside a Humphrey Coliseum, like like way above where we normally sit courtside uh, on a baseline. So. It, that's been crazy. Um, as, as far as football goes, um, the traffic is obviously far less uh, crazy than normal as well, which has been nice, but it's, it's like a weird feeling when you're driving up to campus for uh, you know, a football game in the South, you know, the SEC, that's, they live for these Saturdays in the fall. And you're driving up and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be able to park wherever I want. And this is going to be great. But it's also a reminder that, oh yeah, there's going to be far less people here to see this. And there's something about a packed crowd, whether it's basketball or football that just kind of gets you up and gets you going for these games. And then you walk in and all you see is metal bleachers and you're like, oh man, I'm going to need an extra cup of coffee. Cause you know, <laughs> I'm going to need something to get me through this game. Cause the crowd noise definitely isn't going to be it. So um like we were talking about before we got on here man i I hope everything gets back to normal sooner than later because uh, i've been a sports fan all my life and there's just something about the the noise of a stadium and the energy that kind of reverberates around a crowd and we're just not getting that right now
0: yeah you're too right man um i will say this though you know because we've kind of started off the conversation on a little doom and gloom listeners just stay with us all right, we're gonna get Mm -hmm. to the game here in a second um but the one thing I will say is that on Saturday specifically, you know for UD against SMU, it was a big non-conference game, just like Saturday's going to be. I mean, Dayton only gets a couple of these opportunities, so they're they're not must wins, but they're about as close as you can get in December to, to having must wins because we only get so many opportunities, right? And so I bring that up because just like you said, it's very hard to get into the game when there's no crowd, but I did find myself down the stretch getting really fired up about the game because I started to feel like, okay, the game matters. And I started to get into the game and I wasn't worried so much about like how many people were around me. So you're right. A hundred percent. But I did find myself just being super fan after a while and just being like, okay, uh, you know, I'm into this game. I'm into it down the stretch. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of life we're dealing with right now i was gonna ask you just because you live in the town i mean what is a normal like football game day like right now in starkville um just this season with nobody being able to go to games i mean do people still gather they go out to bars i mean does is anything going on in a college town that kind of you know lives and dies by the team right
2: yeah the bars are still pretty packed and uh probably too much. So based on current <laughs> state mandates and whatnot, but that's not for me to nitpick and, uh, and write yeah. about obviously, but, uh, um, yeah, we're not opining
0: on that. We're just it's facts only
2: here. Yeah. yeah facts only. <laughs> if, if you drive through the bar district here in Starkville, you will see people and it'll look like a normal game day. But I think, uh, back to your point about what's been most jarring is there's a, um, uh, place called the junction just outside of the stadium on the, uh, south side of the stadium and it's usually packed with people uh i don't know if you guys have like a a tail like a or or where you went to i guess you went to dayton but if there's something up there in the northeast uh whether it's um you know in the acc or or big 10 or whatever it is where you just picture okay yeah that is a crazy tailgate scene there's just people everywhere Uh, yeah you couldn't go two paces without seeing someone holding a red solo cup or, or downing a beer or something. <laughs> That's usually what the junction is at Mississippi state. And you arrive on game day and it's just an empty field and there's nothing going on because uh tailgating has been banned on campus. So uh, yeah. you, you can't replace thousands and thousands of people and stick them all in a tiny little bar district like they have in downtown Starkville. So who knows where those people are, are gathering or if they're gathering, but it's just kind of sad to see that the normal traditions of uh, game days have, have been taken away in all of this. And I know it, it, there's it's, it's more important than uh, that, but, I mean, fellowshipping and, and getting together with people is, is what uh, people in the South really look forward to during football season and, and even basketball season, you know, in the arena, and we're not getting much of that right now. No, we
0: are not, my friend, but we will get at least a little bit of basketball playing, a little basketball doing, as I like to say, uh, on Saturday, noon Eastern, tip off down in Atlanta. And uh, let's shift the focus a little bit towards basketball. I guess we can get away from our doom and gloom COVID conversations, even though, you know, got to be honest, they have to happen. Um, But I know in the SEC that schools are all the way up and down the spectrum on how much they care about basketball versus football and Kentucky is obviously one of the schools that kind of goes the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always got the feeling from Mississippi state that because they're in such a small town, they kind of support both teams equally. You've been on the beat now for three years. How do you feel about that? Am I right? Or am I way off?
2: Uh, I wouldn't say you're way off, but I I would say you're off in that uh, football is kind of everything. And and that's more of a Mississippi thing than just a Mississippi state thing is that, uh, Mississippi is producing really good football talent across all the high schools and it's uh, per capita I think they have some of the most guys in the NFL of any state in the country. So, but basketball, here's the thing. When Mississippi State is good and Mississippi State is making a run, it's, you know, programs across the country like look, I went to Texas and obviously football is far and away the biggest sport there, but during those Rick Barnes seasons when You know Texas was good, and they were and they were making the tournament pretty much every single year, and they were you know pretty good seed in the tournament. Texas fans kind of you know rallied around that, and they were like, "We're all in on this." Mississippi State is the same way I've noticed, and uh, the Bulldogs made the NCAA tournament in 2019 for the first time in 10 years, and you could tell everyone was really excited, and they were like man, the, the players on this team, I, I have their back. Like they've done something that nobody uh, here has done in a decade. And that's awesome. And there's just something about making the NCAA tournament when you're a school like Mississippi state, that isn't supposed to make tournament runs. Right. It's just, yep. it's just a really good feeling in March. And it's like, it's a, it's something that gives fans, even if you don't like basketball, even if you've never even dribbled a basketball to see your school make the tournament, and I think Mississippi State was a five-seed that year, so they are like, okay, maybe we can make a tournament run. There's something <laughs> about it. So, yep. and of course, they lost to the Liberty in the first round, but that's another yeah. th- that's another story. But yep. uh, just making the tournament and, and being there on Selection Sunday, knowing that your name is going to get called, uh, Mississippi State fans get exci- as excited as anybody about that because, I mean, it's, it's college basketball. It's, it's why we're having this conversation. It's exciting stuff.
0: Yeah, man. And, you know, you're preaching to the choir because in Dayton, all we have is hoops, um, mm-hmm. football teams, division one, AA. Um, so it's not that they don't matter. It's just they don't come up on the national scale. And if Dayton as a school is ever going to get recognized nationally, uh, this is it. You know, it's, it's with basketball. That's why I always love to ask that question about SEC schools uh, in that same breath, uh, since it's your third year. It stands to reason that you would have been covering the team during that NCAA tournament run. Uh, did you have a chance to come up to UD Arena last time we played?
2: No, I was not there. Um, I think it was – correct me if I'm wrong. That was around Christmas time, and I think that was the day that I made my drive back to Texas to be with the family. But I made it early enough to get home and watch that game, and I remember it, it, it being a really good one. Uh, did I wish I could have gone up there because all Ben Hallen was talking about You know, before the game and then even after the game was, look, we're going into a really raucous environment. These people love their college basketball and it's not going to be an easy game. And it turned out to be true. So wish I could have made the trip up there. Maybe I will at some point, but uh, it, it didn't happen that time.
0: Well, unfortunately, brother, I think uh, your only chance to make it back to UD Arena is if Mississippi State ends up in the first four games down the road, because Ben Hallen was fairly vocal after that win against Dayton that uh, he wasn't coming back anytime soon. <laughs> so they're either going to have to get a new coach or maybe their AD has a change of heart. Um, and, and, you know, to be honest, like we we face this every single year and um it's it's so bittersweet to hear coaches like Ben Howland say stuff like that, because, you know, in the back of your mind, as a Dayton fan, you're like, hell yeah. Like he's given us the respect we deserve. But then on the flip side, you're like, crap, like another power five won't play us at home anymore, you know? And and I've said that the Mississippi schools are perfect for UD because, and that's why we played so many times over the last, like what, 10 years, they played old miss Mississippi state a few times now because, We both kind of need each other. And that's what I keep telling people on the scheduling front is like, we're not looking to go play Kentucky. We're not even looking to go play like Florida or Duke or North Carolina. Like what Dayton wants is the middle of the pack in the power five teams that like need to prove themselves. And that season in 2019, where we played in November, 2018, I'm saying. That's a perfect example we're talking about. You know, Mississippi State had a a veteran roster with the Witherspoon brothers. They were coming back off a disappointing season and they knew that they were good enough to make the tournament. So they put Dayton on a schedule because they're like, okay, we need to go get a resume building win. Um, And and that's the perfect marriage in the non-con. And sure enough, you know, we're seeing it again. So, you know, diving into the the team a little bit here, um, Mississippi State is coming off of a, a year uh, where you guys were one of the programs that uh, I, I won't say got hurt the most by COVID, but you had something to prove when the, the season uh, got shut down um, for our listeners, Mississippi state ended the year last year, 20 and 11, uh, 11 and seven in the sec. And, and I think it's fair to say you were kind of right there on the wrong side of the bubble and Mississippi mm-hmm. state could have played their way into the tournament in the sec um, sec conference tournament. Uh, what was the story with the team last year uh, you know, from, from your seat?
2: Yeah, definitely you're right that they were right on that bubble, probably on the outside looking in, but a couple of wins in the SEC tournament could have changed everything. And Ben Howland has said time and time again in the last eight, nine months that that was the most devastating part of last year was they, they didn't get off to a great start. It, it kind of took a little bit for the team to gel. Uh, Nick Weatherspoon was the, the team's junior point guard. And he was suspended for the first eight games of the season. So uh, the non-con didn't go as planned. I think they took a couple losses uh, the year before that when they made the NCAA tournament. Uh, They went undefeated in non-con play or maybe only lost one game. So uh, it wasn't a a great start right off the jump. And once Nick Witherspoon did come back, uh, the team was, like I said, the chemistry wasn't all there because they were playing with the senior – they were playing with the point guard and senior Tyson Carter, who's way more of a shooting guard, and he kind of you know, made that switch back to the two position, and Nick Weatherspoon uh, was struggling with turnovers, and the offense just didn't look cohesive. But the one constant all year was Reggie Perry, and he was the SEC uh, – the co-SEC player of the year, averaged a double-double. Those numbers increased in SEC play. He was just a monster. Just got drafted by Brooklyn in the second round of the NBA draft. And that's not even the only The uh, player from last year's team that made the NBA. Uh, Robert Woodard went all in the second round of the NBA draft as well. He's going to play for the Sacramento Kings. So you have two guys from last year's team, which like we said, was on the outside looking in that went to the NBA and you lose both of those guys and you lose Nick Weatherspoon as well. And you lose Tyson Carter as well. Those are your top four scorers right there. And you, and you lose all of that production. So, this year's team is is very young. Howland has said it time and time again. And they're just trying to find themselves right now. But the star of the, the team actually missed the first three games of this year. And Iverson Molinar, he's a sophomore guard. He had COVID. And he's come back in the last two games to average 18 points. So on Saturday, you guys should definitely be looking out for Iverson Molinar because uh, he's shooting the ball well from three. He's not turning the ball over a lot uh you know he's got good court vision he can make an assist if he has to but he's more of a pure scorer uh they're gonna have to rely on him a lot because like i said last in losing all those guys that they lost last year uh it's gonna be tough to overcome uh and and that showed in the first two games of the season when they went out and played in the space coast challenge in, in carolina and lost to clemson and Liberty again. I guess Liberty has Mississippi State's number, but
0: <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah,
2: <laughs> Mississippi State is on a three-game winning streak, though, so uh, everything's it's kind of coming around. But they haven't had a, a test like Dayton in the last three games to to kind of prove if they ha- have improved vastly from those first two losses. So I think it's a great test for Mississippi State to kind of truly gauge where they are with Iverson Molinar in the lineup, because like I said, they haven't lost when he's been kind of running the show.
0: Yeah. And and I think uh, that's a great point you bring up that Dayton fans certainly wouldn't have known about is that those two losses came without him and the three losses came with him or three wins rather came with him. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, because I think a lot of people looked at Mississippi State's schedule here early and they go, all right, well, they're three and two, they lost the Liberty. We should probably win that game. And Dayton's probably going to be favored by like a point or two, um, on Saturday. It's going to be a really close, like pick them on the line. I have a, a feeling, um, but early in the season, I'm looking down through their stats right now, and the one thing that really jumps off the page that Dayton's going to have trouble with is that they're seventh in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. They're pulling down an offensive rebound on 40% of their possessions. Alternatively, Dayton, I, I'm not going to pull punches. They stink at rebounding. They just stink. They, they just haven't put the effort in. Um, the defensive glass, they've cleaned up a little bit, uh, but the offensive glass has just been putrid. Uh, for my listeners right now, we'll go back through it. They gave up 15 offensive rebounds against Northern Kentucky. Yeah, I said 15 offensive rebounds. And then the game before, they gave up 11 to SMU. The game before that, they gave up 13 to Eastern Illinois. So they played three games. They've given up double digits on the offensive rebounding side. It seems like that's a strength of, of the Bulldogs. What else have they done well so far in the early season here?
2: Yeah, rebounding has definitely been a major key for Mississippi State in the Jackson State game that I mentioned. Uh, They had 20 offensive rebounds, and I think they held Jackson State to zero uh, second-chance points. I think Jackson State might have got a few offensive rebounds, but that's kind of been the the difference for Mississippi State is they haven't shot particularly well. There was a stretch uh, in that Jackson State game where they went 6 of 26 from the field and were only leading – by four points at halftime in a game that they eventually won by 23 points so the shooting has been hit or miss and with Molinar back he's he's been steady he's been the team's best shooter but some of those other guys it's uh, you know they're pulling up for a wide open three and you're like this could go anywhere you know this 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 might be an air ball but there are other times yeah top of the backboard side of the backboard just not things that you want to see but there are other times where you see a guy like Jalen Johnson or DJ Stewart or um, even Javion Davis, a transfer from Alabama, pull up and take a shot, and you're like, okay, yeah, that was a good, smooth-looking shot. So I think that Mississippi State is a little inconsistent right now, but they make up for that in their rebounding. Tolu Smith has been a monster; he's got a couple double doubles this season, and he had another one against Jackson State. Um, Adulo Do Adu is uh, you'll probably remember him from a couple seasons ago. He's been uh, Starting at center for Mississippi State now for three straight seasons, uh, he's a big six ten guy. Not going to put the, the ball in the bucket a lot, but he's going to go up and grab a lot of rebounds. So Mississippi State has size. If anything, uh, if if nothing else, they have guys uh, in the front court. Uh, Tolu Smith said he thinks Mississippi State has the best front court in the SEC. There are probably some other teams that would like to argue that, and we're going to find out in January and February how accurate Smith was in saying that, but. Uh, from his standpoint, I mean, averaging 15 points and uh, probably uh, somewhere up around, yeah, it's 8.4 rebounds. I mean, he's done everything to kind of back that up. Uh, I, I would look for those guys in this game against Dayton because, like you said, if, if Dayton struggles rebounding the ball, there's, Tolu Smith is going to have a nose for the basketball around the rim. Abdul Odu is going to do the same. And then even some of those other guys that I mentioned that, that are kind of inside-outside guys, Javian Davis, uh, Jalen Johnson, Cameron Matthews, even those are big body guys who if they sense a mismatch in that area of the game, they'll kind of exploit it. And and that's what Mississippi State has done really well in the last three games on this winning streak.
0: Yeah. And Dayton definitely has uh, a few of those mismatches that you're you're going to see. You know, Dayton's still trying to find their footing right now through three games. I think that a lot of fans are starting to wish that they had a schedule similar to Mississippi State. What I mean by that is, you know, you guys had the neutral tournament, came home for Texas State, North Texas, Jackson State, Um, all games that you should win. And they did win. And um, I think that Dayton, with their inexperience, not on the floor, like they're an experienced lineup, but the guys don't have a lot of experience playing with each other. And I think after the loss to SMU last Saturday, a lot of fans are saying themselves, well, you know, if we would have got a couple of those scrubs in there to, to beat them up on buy games, maybe that would have given us the experience we needed. I was quick to say, well, you know, sorry, this is crying over spilled milk. You, we have to get ready for this big game here coming up on Saturday. Um, so uh, let's shift a little bit. And I'm, I'm wrapping up here with Tyler Horka, uh, who covers Mississippi State for the Clarion Ledger down in Mississippi Starkville proper. Um You know, as I look through this roster, I I know you know I look through a lot of sheets of of stats and teams and results and blah blah blah. And I like to say that I know what I'm looking at. As I look at Mississippi State, and a team that was right on the bubble last year, that had a little bit to prove to get in the tournament, we're, we're arguably a tournament team depending on how the dice fall for them. Then, like you said, they lose a couple of guys to the NBA, and now I'm looking down their roster and the majority of their minutes. Are are getting uh, shelled out to underclassmen. Um, you know, it seems like this is a young team. What's the expectation for this team around the program? Because we mentioned it before we got on the call. Um, you know, Ben Halland is 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 deep into his tenure now. He's in season number six. They've been to the tournament once. Um, and I'm not gonna. I'm not a hot take guy. And I'm not gonna say he's on the hot seat. But, I mean, what is the expectation this season? Because it kind of looks like a rebuilding year to me, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, both coaches and Associated Press picked Mississippi State to finish well in the bottom half of the SEC standings. I think uh, one or the other even picked them to finish 13th and maybe only Vanderbilt to finish behind them. So the expectations aren't high. I mean, that that's clear yeah. as day. And like you said, uh, a lot of the uh, players that Mississippi State are relying on are underclassmen. Now, Molinar is a true sophomore, and he's probably going to play more like a junior just because he's savvy enough to 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 be a go-to guy. But uh, DJ Stewart and Tolu Smith, those are the other two guys averaging in double figures for Mississippi State. They're both redshirt sophomores, so... Stewart has been around the program for a while now, and, and he knows what Howland wants out of him, and he's kind of taken that next step. He was more of a, he was more of really just a defender uh, last year in his first season playing, and because uh, he was he didn't need to be relied upon to score with guys like Perry and Woodard on the floor. But now those guys are gone, and, and Howland has asked him to, you know, for an uptick in offensive production, and now he's averaging sixteen point four. Uh, points per game on uh, a pretty good shooting percentage of 42.5 when you consider he's taking a lot of threes he's attempted the most threes on the roster so he's a redshirt sophomore tolu smith who i mentioned earlier the double double uh threat every time he's on the floor is also a redshirt sophomore but i think the biggest thing is when you look at those three guys who are averaging 18 16.4 and 15 points per game the drop-off then goes to abdul Do, who I mentioned earlier, is more of a rebounding threat and, and not much of a threat to put uh, the, the ball in the hole, is averaging 6.2 points per game. And, and that's a yeah. severe drop-off. And when you lost your top four scorers from a season ago, you're, you're looking to replenish that across the roster. Right now, they're only replenishing that in the form of three guys. So... There might be stretches with this Mississippi State basketball team where they just simply can't score. And getting back to your point about Ben Halland and where this program stands under him, it's just how much patience do fans have in, in realizing that this is a rebuilding year? And, you know, some of these guys, uh, you know, Mississippi State is giving a lot of minutes to true freshmen and Cameron Matthews and Davon Smith. Like, those guys are in the regular rotation and they're playing quite a bit. Mississippi you know Mississippi State fans have to realize that uh you know this team could look a lot different next year with the same guys so you know it's going to look the same because it's the same guys on the floor but they're going to be so much more experienced and you know going to Dayton and then playing through a full SEC schedule is going to be huge for these guys but do Mississippi State fans have the patience to kind of let that happen uh if losses really start to mount and Mississippi state only wins maybe a less than a handful of sec games, then yeah, uh, you said hot seat, the pressure could really turn up on Ben Howland because uh, like you said, he's, you know, into his sixth or seventh season and uh, it's time to start getting to the tournament consistently. And this does not look like a tournament year on paper. Now maybe they can shock some people and Iverson Molinar plays out of his mind and leads Mississippi state there, but You know, right now as it stands, uh, he's going to have to do a heck of a lot because uh, this team just isn't there yet, and uh, Mississippi State fans might have to give Hallen time, and we'll see if that's what they want to do.
0: All right, and I was going somewhere with that question. Uh, My listeners know that I always have like ulterior motives behind when I ask questions like that. I'm cheeky in that way, (laughs) but uh, my what I was getting at was I kind of thought that COVID was going to impact programs negatively in this specific light of programs like Mississippi state. And I didn't know where the examples would lie, but I think it's right here in front of me finally, where I've found a program that has been impacted in this, in this way. If Ben Hallen makes the tournament last year in a non shortened season, are we even having this conversation or is the tone completely changed where it's like, ah, you know what? He he won the first round of the tournament. Yeah. He's our guy, you know, we'll rebuild and get back to it. I mean, can you see how that narrative would have changed with just something as simple as a tournament appearance this past March, right?
2: Yeah, and that is exactly what we talked about earlier. Is, is there something about making the tournament for programs like Mississippi State? It's that's all that matters. Enough. That's yeah. enough. And and like I said, I went to Texas, and Texas has all the resources in the world. And Shaka Smart's in his fifth season now, and he's only made the tournament twice and never won. A tournament game but he's still there and he's still coaching and and that says everything you need to know if, if a program like texas making the tournament is enough and that's kind of what happened under rick barnes because they made the tournament a whole lot of times but never really did anything in the tournament yeah if that works there it definitely works here at mississippi state and that's probably why howland has harped on it so much that he was like hey all we needed to do was was win our first SEC tournament game. I forget who they were slated to go against, but they they were probably going to do that. And then obviously it gets tougher exponentially, even with the next game. But th- that would have been an upset victory in the next game, who no, no matter who they were playing, and that probably would have been enough to get Mississippi State in the tournament. And then in a span of a couple days, that you talk about the narrative of that season was was maybe a little bit of a you know underachievement in the span of a couple of days that could have all been eradicated, Mississippi State is in the tournament. Ben Hallen leads this, you know, late uh, February, early March run to the tournament and kind of saves his job. I I I think that would have been the narrative. And now 9 months later, he never got that opportunity and now he's, you know, left with a rebuilding roster and if, if fans don't understand that, it, it could spell bad news for Ben Hallen if the pressure gets put on the administration. Absolutely, I totally agree with you that Uh, COVID has kind of changed everything and in the sense that COVID kind of maybe saved some people's jobs and and I keep using the uh, Shaka smart example at Texas Texas was having a really bad year last year but we don't know how it would have finished and you can't really can Shaka because of that well we know that Mississippi State season could have finished differently but then COVID hit and uh, it might have left Ben Hallen in a worse situation than he was before
0: yeah. Now, look, Texas is fifth in the country in Ken Palm right, right now. The, right. Davidson, Indiana, North Carolina, like lost a close one to Villanova. I mean, um, I, I think a lot of guys will look back in their careers and, and think about this year in completely different lights, because you're right. The ice is just so thin in college basketball and the margin of error is so small. And like you said, and we, we talk about this in Dayton all the time if Archie Miller doesn't make that elite eight run, he was a horribly average coach in March, but because he made that run, Mm -hmm. he got the job at Indiana, you know, because he made that run. He was looked at as the next coach up, you know, the next guy, right? Because he made the elite eight run. Then they just made the tournament the next three years. Put aside, they only won two games in the last two years that Archie was here. He didn't win any games in the tournament. I mean, again, you can't, you obviously can't cherry pick and say, all right, let's put the elite eight year aside because the elite eight year happened. But my point is just that without that year, he's a a very average coach in March, but it's, it's such a, it's such a boost to your program. And I think that's exactly what Dayton and Mississippi state have in common is that making the tournament is just so paramount. I mean, for us, we we want to win the conference, and winning the conference is possible just about every year now. And Mississippi State not as much, just because you're always going to go up against Kentucky and Florida, and they're always going to be just a little bit better than you. So you kind of have to build to to sneak up on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but putting the the focus right back on uh, the game as we're finishing up here again, I'm with Tyler Horca from Clarion Ledger who covers Mississippi State sports, and uh, we can wrap up, you know, kind of talking about the game coming up here. And the last thing I wanted to bring up was that, uh, Tyler, we're going to see a lot of turnovers, man, Uh, because (laughs) I did not know this. Like I said, I look at a lot of sheets throughout the year of stats and, um, you know, offensive rebounding stands out for Mississippi State Uh, turnover percentage. That is how many uh, possessions that they turn the ball over. There are 22 percent. That's good for 219th in the country. Dayton is turning the ball over almost 28% of their possessions right now. That's good for 288th in the country. Drilling down even further, non steal turnover percentage. And I'm going to break this down for my listeners, okay? So that means unforced errors. How many, what is the percentage of possessions that Dayton is turning the ball over on unforced errors? Right now, that is almost at 20%, one in five possessions. That's good for 298th in the country. Mississippi State is right behind them at 279th in the country. Just deplorable offense, a lot of turnovers. Um, I've seen in, in, in the games that Mississippi State has played, they've had a lot of turnovers. I think they've been in double digits every single game. Dayton's coming off a game where they had 22 turnovers. Uh, Tyler, is it fair, fair to say whoever wins the turnover battle is going to win this game? Because I think that's where I'm going to put my money.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But I, I think another interesting set that I would have to look up is um, what are opponents doing with Mississippi State's turnovers because yeah. um, Hallen really preaches uh, defense, and, and Mississippi State has played some pretty good defense of late. So uh, it's obviously one thing to turn the ball over. It's a, it's a totally different thing to just you know allow an easy bucket after a turnover. But you're right. I mean, uh, I, I mentioned DJ Stewart earlier, who's kind of a lockdown defender turned uh, go to scorer. Uh, he's had 16 turnovers this year to lead the team. And uh, in those losses, I think uh, the, the opening loss against Clemson, uh, he, he was up around 10. So it's kind of tailed off. But anytime your star player is turning the ball over almost 10 times in a game. You're not going to win that game. And that showed against Clemson. It didn't matter how many points he scored in that game. Mississippi State wasn't going to win it because of the turnovers. So um, it's it's huge to have Iverson Molinar back, like I said, because he takes care of the ball. In the two games he's played this year, he's only turned the ball over three times. But I think that Mississippi State is so young and the ball is in the hands of really young players so often that, yeah, they're going to have turnovers. Like you said, double digits in every game this year. And Davon Smith is a true freshman. He's played a lot of point guard, uh, especially when Molinar was out. And he's even played some since Molinar has returned. He's got 10 turnovers this year. Cameron Matthews is a guy who, who plays uh, really good perimeter defense and then can make the occasional three-pointer as well. So he's kind of uh, the, the, the three-point line to three-point line guy that you see in college basketball a lot and even in the NBA now. He's turned the ball over eight times, so it's not even in his hands a lot, and he's and he's still turning it over. It's something that Mississippi State is going to have to improve upon, especially um, against quality opponents like Dayton. Even if Dayton does kind of a lot of the same things, that's where you get your edge. If Dayton's going to turn the ball over, and if Mississippi State can protect the ball and, and, and not turn it over as much, then... Obviously, yes, absolutely. That, that could be the uh, determining factor in the game, and it's definitely something to watch.
0: Absolutely, and I, I will tell the listeners right now as we're wrapping up that I think 65 points is going to win the game uh, on Saturday. Uh, Dayton is 311th in tempo, just meaning like how quickly they play basketball. Mississippi state is 340th, meaning there's only 13 teams in the entire country that play a slower pace. And I believe there's like 10 teams that haven't even started yet playing games. So that means that you could probably count on one hand, the amount of teams that play slower than Mississippi state. So you're going to see a defensive brand of basketball um it, it won't be aesthetically pleasing it ain't going to be the games that we watched last year in Dayton that's for sure there'll be very few highlights I have to assume but Tyler uh I thank you ob- obviously for the time and jumping on here talking hoops this is what we love to do here in Dayton uh but I can't let you out of here without a prediction man what do you got for Saturday
2: yeah I really like your uh 65 number and honestly i think 60 could win this thing yeah well, i uh, was gonna say
0: 60 but i was like yeah. you know what? i think i could hang my hat on 65 no matter what
2: <laughs> yeah it might be a little more exciting if we get to that number but um yeah i i think it's gonna be a tight one it's it, there's there's not gonna be much room for error even though there's gonna be errors all over the place as we mentioned with the turnover the turnover the the way these two teams turn the ball over but uh but I really like the way Mississippi State's playing right now. This is a game that could kind of make or break their non-con slate of the schedule. If they go in there and and, and beat Dayton, then I think things are really looking up. If you go in there and lose, then you're kind of back to 500. You're back to square one. You're saying, what can this team realistically do this season? Uh, It just kind of feels like a game that Mississippi State isn't experienced enough to go in on a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon on the East in the Eastern time zone and against a quality team like Dayton, like I said, it it feels like a game that uh, they lose in a heartbreaking fashion. One possession ball game. I think Dayton's going to win 62 to 59. There's there's the number. (laughs)
0: man it's so funny like hearing you say this because like if you would have asked me i probably would have said the exact same thing <laughs> like i don't love dayton down the stretch i don't think they know how to finish right i think it's going to be a really close game and dayton's going to win in heartbreaking or they're going to lose in heartbreaking fashion like i probably would have said all those things in succession um but okay so last question for you before i let you go i know that uh mississippi state has a big I guess I'm not fair to call it a big football game because there's only like a couple of big football games per week now that uh, things are kind of getting decided. Mm-hmm. But um, w- what's the schedule like for you? You're gonna cover both games from home. You're gonna try to see one, not the other. What's the deal for you Saturday?
2: Yeah, so Mississippi State football does not play until 6:30 local, and the game, the basketball game is at 11 a.m. local. So I can cover the basketball game from my couch, um, which will, which will be very comfortable, and then. Kind of bundle up and because Mississippi State has an open air press box and watch uh, Mike Leach's Bulldogs take on Gus Malzahn's Auburn Tigers later that night. So, uh, like I said at the, at the beginning, sports, are that's my passion. That's what I love to do. I've carved a career out of it. You and I both. Uh, basketball and football on the same day does not get much better than that.
0: Hell yeah, man. And uh, we're looking forward to it as well. Uh, hopefully there's many games down the road with Mississippi state, you know, after our conversation, I think it um, goes without saying that the programs are, are well pitted to, uh, to go against each other year after year. And I hope we see you guys in the non-con moving forward, but uh, thanks again for the time, Tyler. Always a joy to catch up and talk some hoops, brother.
2: Yeah. I appreciate you having me on here, man. Enjoy the game this weekend. Well, I certainly cannot enjoy it any
0: less than I enjoyed the game this past Saturday. I uh, wanted to finish up the show before I conclude things here and send you out with my favorite real Biff, big fish song, uh, beer. Uh, but you know, I thought it was kind of an interesting story to, to end the cast tonight about the, the experience on Saturday. Uh, I was one of 300 people that uh, was fortunate enough to, to go to the game. I don't even think there was 300 people in UD arena once push came to shove and um, but shout out Least Chicken uh for giving me one of the sponsor tickets. Uh much appreciated. They support this program. I support them right back and, and that's what we do here. Uh, you know, in the Dayton community. support right back. You know, it's mutual, two-way support. But the arena was weird, and I mentioned to Tyler that absolutely the most jarring thing was uh, was the lack of traffic, um going across the Seward Street Bridge, Edwin C. Moses Boulevard, walking straight into the arena. Um the game was at two o'clock. I left at 147 from Tim's from the pregame show, I believe. And I made it into the arena uh, before the national anthem started. Uh, I got to say hey to a couple people that were, were stragglers around the arena. Um, but it really did kind of feel like I was walking into a practice. And then, you know, you kind of heard me mention that on the interview before. But you just get into the game. It's like anything else. And I think the players are probably the same way. I think coming out of the tunnel is super jarring. I think people not being there is jarring. Hearing the basketball bounce is probably extremely jarring, uh, just with no sound, no jock jams, none of that. Uh, But, you know, just like I did as a fan, when there's 10 minutes to go in the second half and it's a close game, I mean, those things kind of get blocked out, and I have to assume that the players uh, were no different. So, you know, let's, let's do it again this Saturday. It's not going to be at UD Arena. We're going to be down in Atlanta. Uh, noon tip-off, and it's moved from SEC Network to ESPN News. Uh, I'm going to be doing the live pregame show from Tim's and catching the game there in a socially distant manner, um, you know, as to meet the guidelines of the state of Ohio. So we're to keep it all safe while I watch the game. Uh, but again, noon tip, Eastern on ESPN News is where you're going to find the game dating against Mississippi State. You said it with me and Tyler. It's first team to maybe 60. Let's call it 65 wins. It's going to be a slow game, uh, low scoring, a lot of defense, probably a lot of bad shooting. And I'd have to imagine there's going to be a great deal of turnovers. Uh, So we kind of those are all the things that point to ugly basketball. Nonetheless, uh, I thank Georgia Mobile used car inspections for sponsoring the interview. Health for sponsoring this particular episode. And my man Chuck at least chicken for continuing to be a flagship sponsor of the talking out loud program. As always, every Thursday, 6 to 7, you can catch us on ESPN Radio 1410 in Dayton. And the live pregame show is going to be kicking off 10 a.m. Eastern, live from Tim's version number two. We got the kinks ironed out. We're ready to go this week. Uh, I hope you'll listen in. We'll be on the uh, radio waves the entire time, especially with the Ohio State football game being canceled. We're up against no one, so we'll be getting you ready for the game. I'll have a bucket of yinglings by my side and giving you nothing but the best freshest scoop that hits my ears and i'll regurgitate it right back to you in the fashion that i know how there's two rules before i let you out of here tonight they are rare where where i messed it up they're my two rules they're wear red and they're be loud here's real big fish the song is called beer i keep playing it to take episodes out see you later
1: So did not matter anymore? I say she never cared and that she never. So, but I guess he changed her mind. Well, I should have known it wouldn't be all right. But I can't live without him. Oh.